Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Andrea Spellman. She's the VP of Sales and Partnerships at Social Standards, a startup that uses social data to help brands and investment companies understand what consumers want. Her innate curiosity has led to a career that's run the gamut from developing and producing content in Hollywood to trend forecasting. She's passionate about women learning to advocate better for themselves, delicious food, great books, and of course, her husband, daughter, and rescue pitbull. Hi, Andrea. Welcome to our Woman to Woman podcast. Hello, Divya. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to start uh, because I know we had a great conversation. Nuggets that I learned from you. So I'm super excited to share that with our listeners. So without further ado, let's get started. Just tell us a little bit about what you do today. Yeah, of course. So right now I am the VP of sales and partnerships for a consumer analytics startup called um, Social Standards. Essentially within that role, it's a bit of a misnomer because I wear so many different hats in a given um, day, but realistically I'm responsible for coaching and leading the sales team. And that's um, for folks who are both selling net new business. So getting new clients for us, as well as those who are working with our clients already. I also work in conjunction with some other colleagues on marketing activities to help um, get our name out there. And then I also handle a lot of partnership conversations, which is a little similar to sales, but it's more about we're doing partnerships with trade publications to be able to contribute our data to some of the reports that they do and things like that. And then, you know, just giving feedback on our products as it evolves and actually doing some sales myself as well. And so it's, it's fun. It always keeps me on my toes. So sales is a very uh, male dominated industry in many ways, you know, because you have to kind of be good at taking rejection. I don't think women are that great at taking rejection. (laughs) It's a hard field. So how did you get into this field? And what has really helped you succeed? It's a good question. Um, And it's a good observation too, that it's a very male dominated field. I've been at many events where there's far fewer women. But so how I got started in sales, it's actually a bit of a interesting story because I originally started my career in the entertainment industry, working for first a talent, well, a management company, then a talent agency, and then doing production and development for television and film. And I was actually approached by a recruiter at a time in my career where I didn't really feel like I was going anywhere very quickly within the entertainment space. All of my friends were in kind of the same area I was trying to make the leap from essentially being an assistant to a junior creative executive. And it's a pretty competitive industry. I was also getting disillusioned, I think, with um, some of the aspects of how the business of entertainment is run. So this recruiter reached out to me and it was for a position that sold to the entertainment industry. And it was for a company called Variety, which is the trade publication for the entertainment industry. So it was a little bit comfortable for me in the sense that I was still going to be working within the entertainment space, but in a different capacity. And so I ended up interviewing for the position. And it's kind of a funny story because it was... um, a database that helped provide information about projects around town and contact information for executives. 
And the founder, um, it was a startup that was acquired by Variety. The founder asked me in my interview process, well, you've never done sales before. Why do you think you can do this job? I looked at him and I said, everything is sales. I mean, if I'm trying to get a writer interested in an idea I have or a director interested in a script or I'm trying to get um, an actor attached, that's sales. Pretty much he, he enjoyed my answer. I got the job. I'd say he and I are still friends to this day. And it was a fabulous opportunity for me at that role because I was able to really be successful in sales. We grew the team from just me to several other individuals. I was able to come up with some unique ways of selling that weren't done before. And from there, I essentially continued my career in sales. And now I'm in a position that isn't in entertainment at all, really. But To answer your question about the kind of gender disparity, I think in a lot of ways, women are sort of taught to be a little bit softer and gentler. And so things like negotiation skills aren't necessarily always something that's encouraged in women. And it's unfortunate because I think I read a study recently and it was in a book, I think, by Adam Grant, but it was saying that women are actually much better at negotiating on behalf of others than they are on behalf of themselves. And if you think about negotiation as a sales skill, I really do believe sales is everything. Whether you are in sales or not, when you take a new position in a job, you're negotiating and selling yourself on behalf of that role. That's kind of the thing that I think is unfortunate. I used to mentor some girls in New York through the New York Junior League, and I would teach a little class on negotiation. And I'm sure their parents didn't love me too much because I would talk to them in terms that they could understand about how to get what they wanted effectively. But it's, it's true. There's not as many women in sales. And I think it's because both were not taught um, growing up as females to really be aggressive and going after what we want in the same way that I think it's encouraged from boys and men a lot. But I also think that sales itself has gotten a little bit of a bad rep throughout the business community because there's this idea of like the used car salesperson and not to denigrate selling used cars. We saw how important that was during the pandemic when they were all nowhere to be found. But really sales to me, role that requires a lot of curiosity And actually, it's starting to be shown that when women do go into sales, they're actually better and more successful because the way that sales is moving is in a more towards authenticity and empathy for whoever your buyer is. And women innately are better listeners. And so they usually end up asking better questions which ultimately helps them become better equipped to understand what type of solution person that they're trying to sell to is going to be interested in. That being said, though, it's like any other male-dominated industry in that there's a lot more men applying for sales roles, and therefore a lot more men are getting hired. And then the expectations of how a man sells might be a little bit different than how a woman would sell. But I think it's changing. And my only regret is unlike marketing, sales isn't taught at 
universities, right? And I think that's really unfortunate because there's a whole science to selling. There's a whole process to understanding how to negotiate. I mean, even costage negotiators, like they have to learn how to negotiate under extremely dire circumstances. But you can take some of the tactics they use and apply it to a much less dire circumstance, such as a sale. But that was kind of a long-winded answer, but I hope that kind of got you what I was I think about. I, I really do wish that the universities would come up with maybe some kind of more sales focused. I think you can do business, but sales seems to be ignored. This is great segue because that was my next question. You know, like there is no degree. Even the MBA programs, they have marketing majors, they have strategic strategic management, they have finance, but nobody really teaches you how to sell. So it's a lot of soft skills that you kind of either develop on your own or you learn from other things that you do in life and that's how you make a good salesperson. So in your view, what kind of degrees or skills does somebody who wants to get into sales at this point? They're clear that's where they excel, they love people, they love negotiation. What other things should they be looking for? Or are there certain degrees that you can think of that are closest since we don't have a sales degree? Right. Yeah, I think that I'm. if you're looking at going to college, business degree is probably the closest because even though it's not, a, they don't have sales specific degrees, marketing has an aspect of sales and understanding how to create Excel um, graphs and demand that's important in a lot of sales roles and becoming increasingly so. But I think if you were looking to enhance your sales skills, there's a number of online resources, there's classes, there's speakers. LinkedIn is a fantastic resource. There's a whole bunch of people who are trying to become known for their skill in sales as a individual that you can follow and they have good um, information. But I think it's also really not being afraid of starting out as what they call in the industry, there's a business development representative or sales development representative. And that is, um, it's generally a support role to the senior sales representatives, but it teaches you all of the basics of selling. And what it does is you learn how to craft messages. If it's a company that relies on calling people, you learn how to engage with people when you speak with them on the phone. In some cases, you get partnered with more senior salespeople. So you learn how they do what they do and how you can apply that to what your sales strategies may be. Because each seller has a little bit of a different selling personality. And it takes time to hone that and figure out where you have strengths and where you have um, opportunities for um, improvement. Did you have like mentors or role models who really helped you kind of find your path? I wouldn't say I've had mentors so much as I've had like sponsors or allies. I'd say in, um, in entertainment, that was a hard thing. A lot of my friends who are still in that industry who did have mentors were able to be successful a lot quicker than those who were trying to do it on their own. And I did have one female boss early in my career who at the time I found her to be extremely challenging. But in retrospect and looking back, I actually really respect her and the work that she did as a businesswoman and then also managing her family and life on 
on top of that. As I moved into sales, I'd say my first boss, Variety, he was really integral to building my confidence as a salesperson and really helpful in also being encouraging if I wanted to try to build out a different line of revenue. He was open to my doing it. And if I wanted to go to a specific trade show to see if there was a way to um, sell to that community, he was open to it with, you know, expectations attached to it. So I think he was really impactful in that beginning stage of my sales career. Along the way, I'd say I've picked up people that I could call for advice but it's generally been under the lens of like who I've worked for. My last role, um, I ran the North American new business team for WGSN, which is a trend forecasting company. And I was actually on what's called a individual contributor, which is a salesperson prior to that. And then I was moved into a new company and running a team and not selling directly myself, which is a pretty challenging thing to do. And the woman who hired me were still friends also. And I would say, you know, her belief in my ability to be a leader and a coach and a boss, so to speak, was a big deal. And it actually helped me realize that I like selling and I like the science of sales and I like all of that, but I enjoy helping other people grow their skills even more. So if I were to look at being a salesperson versus managing salespeople, I prefer the latter. Sometimes, you know, people force you to realize your potential. Mm -hmm. You don't see it. So now looking back, now you realize you really love managing salespeople. So now if you had to go back and give your younger self a piece of advice, what would that be? Oh, this is a good one. I was thinking about um, this and I think two things come up. I think I'd say don't take things so seriously because it's going to work out one way or another. And even what looks like in the moment may not be a great thing. Usually what happens after that ends up working out better than you could have imagined. And so I think that when you stop worrying about things with a certain amount of um, effort and work, like you can't just sit around and expect the world to give you everything. But if you stop worrying and you put in a little bit of effort, things usually go well. And you don't have to be as anxious as I think I was about my future when I was younger. And then the second piece is that I think I would tell myself my intuition is good and I should rely on it more often. I should go with my gut a little bit more often rather than overthink as much as I did, which kind of went hand in hand with that anxiety, I think. <laughs> Do you feel that there was a perceived failure in your past that as you just mentioned, you know, at that point, you felt like, oh, my God, this is like the end of the world for me. But then later on, it had some impact, you know, positive or negative, whatever. But that really led you to where you are. So any instance like that perceived failure that really taught you a lot. I actually worked for someone who had been my hero when I was in college and going to school for um, TV and film production and ultimately was fired by that person. So the old adage of, you know, don't ever meet your heroes for me is very true. I think at the time, outwardly, I was very like, I pretended that it didn't bother me, but it really, really did. 
it was, I remained in the entertainment industry through independent production. And then I got another job working for a different producer. But after that was when I moved into sales at Variety. And it took me a long time to recognize what I could learn from that experience. And what I learned, honestly, is that the situation that I was brought into when, which ultimately resulted in my being fired, I kind of went, I went really hard very early because I worked for a female producer who went to work for another production company and there was some younger executives and I was very, you know, outspoken and so on and so forth. And there's an element of politics in any given organization. I didn't stop and like figure out the politics of this new company before I started to speak my mind. And that really didn't go over very well. I think ultimately that's truthfully what ended up in my getting fired. I'd say since then, I have a much better sense of when you first start at a new company, or even if you go into a new situation that you're not familiar with, take a little bit take a moment, take a few moments to get the lay of the land and then kind of figure out what to do, right? And I think that was a really valuable lesson for me to learn early, relatively early in my career because it translates to so many different things. But it was very painful and it caused me to have kind of a very big reckoning about like, was this a world that I wanted to continue in even though I don't think I really thought about it until an opportunity to exit that world presented itself. So just looking at you right now, all the books behind you, (laughs) I know you're a very avid reader. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about your reading. Well, since I've had a daughter, I don't get to read nearly as much as I used to. But what I, I try to read a nonfiction and a fiction, like one after the other, but I've been finding myself reading a lot more nonfiction of late. It's less business nonfiction than it is right now. I'm reading a fantastic book that is about science and Buddhism and Christianity and what their connections are within the realm of meditation. So I'm very interested in mindfulness and meditation and that type of reading. I love authors who are able to build worlds. So I was a Game of Thrones fan before it was ever a show. (laughs) I love Isabel Allende because she has this magical realism that she's able to convey. My go-to is the library, big, big card-carrying library, and I'll check out books. And then if I like the book enough, I'll buy it. Although I do go to bookstores when I travel and I usually end up buying books that I haven't read before just because it's a nice way of like contributing to the local economy. I don't know if I was going to recommend two of my favorite books, it would probably be anything by Isabel Allende, which is fiction, but then Start With Why by Simon Sinek, who's very well known in kind of the business industries. And then as a creative person, I think The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron is amazing also because it gives you kind of activities to do to reconnect with essentially your inner child and make your spark of curiosity and um, creativity come back. So those are two that I really enjoy. Thank you for those recommendations. Both great books. I have not read one of them, but 
I will definitely do that. Speaking <laughs> of your daughter, so she just turned eight months this past weekend. Yes. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so how have you managed that balance? Because having a very demanding career with a very young family, you know, any size family, any age family is challenging, but with a young kid is always even more challenging. So yes. what has really worked for you? Well, first of all, my heart goes out to anyone who is in the childcare industry because without you, I could not function. My daughter is in daycare Monday through Friday, but it's aligned with the local school district. And so anytime there's a holiday, I have to kind of maneuver my schedule because it's hard to find ad hoc babysitters. There's a great new service in Century City, which enables you to do kind of drop-in care and they offer co-working next door to where the kids are, which is nice, but it's not cheap. And I think that is a huge problem our country really needs to start doing more is helping with childcare. I know that a lot of my friends, this is a it's a huge struggle. That's the biggest thing is childcare and having people to help take care of my daughter when I'm working or if my husband and I actually want to try and get some quality time together. Other than that, I mean, my husband and I are very much co-parents. He's very involved and that's nice. So essentially on Sundays, we'll go over our schedules for the week because he's an entrepreneur who started his own business. So life is crazy, <laughs> but we'll go over our schedules on Sundays and we'll determine, you know, which days do I need to drop her off at daycare? Which days does he need to drop her off and pick her up and so on and so forth. And then if we know that we have things coming up, we try to book sitters or figure out alternatives as far in advance as we can. We don't have too many family members locally. My father-in-law is in the South Bay, but isn't always here because he also goes to the East Coast where my husband's from and so on. And I know a lot of people who have family close have it a lot easier, but we have to figure out and it can be very challenging because my husband's business, they may get jobs at the drop of a hat. And then usually I have to figure out what we're going to do about Georgie. Her name's Georgiana, Georgie for short. And I'm lucky because I work remotely and I'm in a leadership position and I work for a company with a CEO who is very flexible. And that makes it very good because if, for example, she doesn't have daycare for a day, I can do a half day at the drop-in facility and then I make the rest of the day relatively light so I can try to do work around her needs. Not a lot of people have that luxury. And I consider myself extremely lucky. But it comes down to even like, for the holidays, she doesn't have daycare for two weeks. My husband and I are like pretending that doesn't exist because we're like, we don't know what we're going to do for Thanksgiving. My, my parents are flying out. And so the three days plus the weekend, they'll be here to help. But we're not traveling for the holidays in December because it's a busy time for my husband's business. I, I don't miss that part at all. Now that my kids are grown up, <laughs> I, I like count my blessings. I don't have to work through the daycare schedules. Yeah. It's a nightmare. And it's getting yeah. harder 
everyone I speak to, it's just getting more complicated, you know, too many layers. I think it's just a matter of managed chaos a little bit. It's interesting, you know, a lot of women do that really well. Have you found certain things that women do not do as good as they should to get the most out of any situation? I think one of the things that you mentioned is very, we'll put ourselves last. I think it's important for women to recognize that if you're putting yourself last, you aren't at your best to be able to give anyone else the help that they may need. So I think it's super important. And this is, again, coming from a place of privilege, right? Like, if you're just trying to make ends meet, like, you don't have the time or the luxury of being able to say, okay, I'm going to take an hour for myself, and I'm going to go get a massage, or I'm going to go for a walk in the park. But Assuming you have that ability, I think it's really important for women to recognize that they need to have some space for themselves to be able to manage all of the other things. Because we do so naturally take on more, and sometimes we don't mention it, but then we get frustrated because it's unnoticed, or we assume it's unnoticed, or we assume it's expected. Half the time, if I'm doing things, I will like mention it to my husband, just because I want to make sure we're both like kind of contributing equally, right? Like, so I'm not getting frustrated that like, I've done the laundry, I've cleaned the dishes, I've tidied up this, I've gotten Georgie's stuff ready. But like, he also is the main cook in the house. So I try to keep my in mind that he's the one making dinner most of the time. So but I think it's important for women to recognize that they need to take care of themselves in order to be effective in taking care of anybody else. Within that, raising your hands when you need help, not take, and that, that could go both professionally and in personal life. If something is taking you too long, or if something you think could be done a better way, more efficiently, like speaking up, and that comes part of the negotiation conversation, like so often I think we don't want to be viewed as complaining or we don't want to be viewed as mothers that, that we're not working as hard as our colleagues who may not have children or anything like that. But you can only control what people know about. And so if you decide, for example, that you're done working at 430 and there's it's within your ability to make that decision Make that decision if it's for the benefit if, and fit in as all of the work in the rest of the day. You know, we have to speak up more. We have to make it evident. And I think the pandemic did a lot in making it quite clear exactly how much taking care of kids pulls you away from your ability to do things. We need to be better advocates for ourselves, whether it's negotiating for a role, whether it's negotiating your position within your home, whether it's negotiating just like works for you. So you're very unique, Andrea, in the way that you knew even growing up what you wanted to be, right? So you were in this child improv group in Denver, Colorado, when you were very young because you wanted to be an actor. <laughs> How did that all play out? Well, it's funny because I, I, you know, we've been talking about sales and I think you mentioned women aren't good at rejection. Well, I, I don't know if between sales and acting, I don't know who gets rejected more. <laughs> so maybe it's natural I ended up in sales since I didn't start to pursue the acting career. But I was a kid. I wanted to do theater. I thought it would be fun. I don't remember how we came across this group, but it was called Kids Skits. And it was this um, group of 
children ages probably like five to maybe 14 at the oldest we would do improv classes and then we would do shows that were written by the improv groups um kind of owners like they did child acting classes and improv groups and then they had like this traveling group of kids who did shows we did shows at malls and elementary schools and it was hilarious because we would all be in these t-shirts that were the same color with like the logo of whatever the show's name was and the only one I can remember is Goons, Tunes, and Harvest Moons and it was one of the songs we sang I can't remember but I'm sure that there are some of my former compatriots out there who can but it was hilarious because it was just like a bunch of kids on stage we performed at this theater called the Fox Theater in Denver. And then we'd travel around and perform at, like I said, malls and elementary schools. And it was a really great way of harnessing like the energy of all of the kids. And for me, I think it helped my confidence quite a bit, which has now gone on to uh, help me in public speaking and also just in communication in general because the idea of improv is that you're given scenarios and you just play with them and then you're in front of an audience and so sometimes you fail epically and nobody laughs sometimes you come up with stuff that's hilarious but the idea behind it is yes and you can't ever say to the other person on the stage No, like you have to go with whatever their choice was and just build on it. And it's a nice way to kind of spend time when you're a kid. It's funny, one of my uh, colleagues did a lot of improv and theater when he was growing up also. So we joke about that all the time. We had done a leadership training in that we had this improv director come in and they actually did the yes and exercise with us. So we Mm -hmm. had to come up with like completely off the grid scenarios and you had to just add on to it. You couldn't say no, yes and. And it was very, very interesting and informative. The power of yes and was really great. And we try to use it even now, even though we all now work for different companies. Whenever we meet, we're like, did you have a yes and situation recently? (laughs) So that's like a running joke for us. But that's such a powerful skill to have. You know, any situation, what do you build on top of it rather than try to dismantle it? How can you build on it? Thank you so much, Andrea. Great advice. And thank you for sharing all of your experiences. Any final comments for our listeners? It is a challenging time in the world in general, and we all need to be a little better at giving ourselves a pat on the back for kind of just existing in today's world. There's a lot going on politically, economically, that constant stream of information we have at our fingertips, thanks to the internet, is not always great. So I think it deserves to be said more often that we're doing a great job. And even if you're really just doing the bare minimum, like it is a challenging time right now and we need to be kinder to ourselves and to each other than I think we often are. Thank you so much, Andrea. I really appreciate your time. Thank you.